This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of October 30th, 2023. We are entering the home stretch of the diamond segment quarterly mm-hmm. uh, portion corner 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 of the of the of the bracket. And yeah, before we get to the exciting jeopardy that happened this week, Emily, how is it going? It's going all right. Halloween was fun. We had a Link and an Aphrodite. The Aphrodite costume turned out to be an elaborate con to get to demand to wear makeup to school. But, you know, that's why this... I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's that's why we all did it. You got to respect the game. So I let I let my <laughs> child wear makeup to school and a pretty good Halloween haul. Having an eight year old and a 10 year old is awesome. They're still little enough to be fun, but they're so much easier than they used to be. Not um, to gloat. You'll get there. No, it's fine. I'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having a seven and four-year-old is way better. It's more fun than this. Yeah, that's, six and that's three-year-old were last heading, year. Yeah, you're heading into those. You're heading into fun years. And I went to the zoo with my friend and her baby today, so that was good. Although it was too cold for most of the animals. Did you get be. to see the gorillas? I did not see the gorillas this time. Because we saw the gorillas a lot last time. So we were trying to see other things this time, but we kept finding like empty enclosures because it was too cold for the animals to be out. We did go into the butterfly garden and see some butterflies, though. That was nice. Yeah. How about you? How are things going? My week was good. Halloween was also a lot of fun. My kids did matching outfits. They were flamenco dancers. And... They were super adorable, and everyone in the neighborhood thought so, especially when they started telling everyone, Happy Halloween, see you next time. That that phrase, I guess we don't hear a lot on Halloween, because it seemed to catch pretty much everyone off guard when they'd be like... <laughs> Yeah, we we yeah we'll we'll see, yeah we'll we'll see you next time. Same time next year. Yes, exactly. Same butterfly. Oh, I don't think anybody gave up butterfly. I have looked through my kids' candy because, of course, you need the dad tax. Uh-huh. There are no no butterfingers, no heaths, one whoppers. It's like, what's even the point of me sending my kids out to get candy for me? You know, right. Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah it's outrageous at this point yeah yeah i might have to get a buy my own candy please <laughs> like some sort of plebeian Ugh. i referenced in a sermon taxing my kids halloween candy and i mentioned specifically almond joys and then nobody heard the actual part of the sermon that was about like the bible and spirituality and like christian faith and whatever because they were also hung up on the idea that anybody likes almond joys which like why do they sell them likes them somebody likes i like them that's really good for you but you're not uh, an almond joy guy objectively do sell filler candy okay that's true they do you know they do they do yes yes you know zagnut and whatever right okay yes no filler you're right filler candy does exist i do not consider almond joy filler candy. do you consider almond joy a filler candy it's fine i don't care for the coconut and candy okay or in chocolate like it's fine okay 
but but no, I wouldn't call it the filler candy. The filler candy is the stuff that sits in your bag until next Halloween. Yeah, because you're like, I just rather would eat anything else, uh-huh. but I'm not going to throw it away because I earned this, you know? Yeah. The things that are like Tootsie Rolls, but they're fruit flavored. Like, what are mm. those even called? No, thank you. Yeah, right. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Anyway, that was Halloween and it nice. was it was good. So hopefully all of our listeners had good Halloweens, too, if you celebrate it. And if you don't, then I hope your October 31st was good. Mm hmm. And perhaps Dia de los Muertos is mm, also enjoyable yeah. for anyone who might have celebrated that this week. Anyway, we had Jeopardy, and that's the celebration that we're mm-hmm. going to focus on now. So on Monday, October 30th, we have the seventh quarterfinal game of the Diamonds, featuring Jay Foster, an engineer from Ranchos Palos Verdes, California, Sarah Reza, a museum program manager from Hyattsville, Maryland, and TJ Talley, an associate professor of African history from San Diego, California. Jeopardy round categories are, let's face it, it's in your mind, non-naughty words, the Jokers, these are all actors who have played the Joker, triangles, and five rhymes. Each correct response will rhyme with the word five. You know, like, thinking about it, there have been a lot of people who have played the Joker. That's true. I mean, is it Sherlock Holmes who has been portrayed the most? Is that the... I think that's correct. Of, like, literary characters, at least in film and television. But Joker is probably up there, Mm -hmm. at least in terms of, you know, different people. Yeah. Although, they did not include Mark Hamill, who, for many of the animated shows and movies, and also the Arkham, uh, Arkham Asylum video games, Mark Hamill was the voice of the Joker. Hmm. I didn't know that, but that seems like something to know and to and to ask about. Right. I feel like that would have been a really good one for, for Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah, apparently after Star Wars, his like on-screen career did not take off, but he had a pretty healthy career as a voice actor. I was not surprised, but delighted to see TJ Talley back. I remember his episodes mm-hmm. and... I don't know. He is telegenic. He's a dynamic personality on Jeopardy. Yeah, enjoyable yeah, to, to see watch. on screen. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Although I was interested, um, it, you know, it says he's from San Diego, California. I thought that he was one of the people who was in charge of the Denver Trivia League, but I could be wrong about oh. that. Hmm. And I, I suppose you don't have to live here to be in charge of it. So yeah, be from there. But hmm. The non-naughty words category was all words that sound similar to cuss words, but are not actually cuss words. The first one was a triple stumper as they figured out what the deal was here. It was a $600 level. This non-naughty five-letter B word means to bungle a task. That's to botch. We had... Yeah, we had the one-word energy industry technique that's the subject of the film Gasland. TJ got that. That's fracking. Which, in the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, it definitely is a bad word. Right. Yeah, I love the thing with uh, Battlestar Galactica does it and Firefly also does it. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of others that have done it where like, it's a fantasy or sci-fi world. You can just invent your own cuss words that are cuss words there. 
but you can yeah, the, say them on TV here. Right. The intent is clearly there, but uh-huh. it's not breaking any rules. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Kyle, you know, but for, for any listeners who haven't seen Firefly or don't, or don't remember this, all, all the cursing is in Chinese. It's in the future. There's been a lot more, you know, kind of like, I don't know, cultural exchange. Yeah. Like the, so, yeah, the whole idea is that by the time humans were able to colonize off Earth, the entire world was essentially an agreement between the U.S. and China. Yeah. And so so language yeah. is just English and Chinese. And that's yep. it. Yep. And all, all, all the cussing is in Chinese. And you can do that on TV. In anyway. America. In America. Yes. Daily double number one is in the Jokers. It's at the thousand dollar level and it's pick number five. TJ finds it. He's at twenty two hundred. Sarah and Jay are both at zero and TJ makes it a true daily double. And he gets the clue. A twenty thirteen Oscar winning actor. His surname is also the name of Apollo's mother. And he tries... Who is Heath Ledger? And that is not correct. They're looking for Jared Leto. So he drops back to zero. And then he takes us to the $400 level of the Jokers. So the clue there is in 1984, he was still known as Leaf when he played Robbie in the ABC after school special Backwards, The Riddle of Dyslexia. And I I thought this was the one. I was like, Leaf, it sounds like Heath. Like Heath. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. has an L like ledger so tj rings in and says who is heath ledger that is incorrect this is joaquin phoenix why was he known as leaf i do not know um his brother was river oh, oh that was was what was that his his like original name and joaquin phoenix is that stage I don't know. name yeah all right oh. i'm gonna have to look this up later anyway so sarah gets the rebound on that one and then takes us to the 200 dollars level of the jokers where we have a picture <laughs> of Heath Ledger and the studio audience just cracked up there was this huge swell of laughter it was very funny his final role was as Tony in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus in 2009 and TJ thankfully gets to ring in and say for a third time but this time correctly who is Heath Ledger yeah Um, great it would have been so so heartbreaking if he hadn't been able to get in yeah (laughs) but he did so Great moment there. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, TJ is in the lead at 3,200. Sarah's at 1,400. Jay is at 1,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are Bring Out Your Fred, Shakespeare Rewrites the Beatles, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Found in Roy G. Biv, Organic Chemistry, and Accenté. Accented. Accenté. Yeah. It's really just words that have an accented e on yeah. the end of them yeah an accent aigu aigu is the the uphill accent what's the what's the downhill grof grof yeah grof and, and then there's the circumflex is the mm-hmm. the little like chevron shaped one although in mm-hmm. my french class we called it chapeau oh petit chapeau yeah. <laughs> Our French teacher tolerated it because Chapeau is also French. <laughs> She's like, okay. 
That's oh, the fine. students called it a Shepo. I thought yes. like the teacher told you to call <laughs> no, it a Shepo. No, 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 she did not, but she tolerated it. She was, <laughs> she's like, okay, you're going to call it the French word for hat. Like, okay, it could be your little French joke. That's fine. Yeah, this is, this is your one. Yeah. Everybody gets one. This is it. Mm-hmm. TJ got to flex at the $2,000 level of bring out your Fred. In 1989, they showed a picture. He became president of South Africa. A few years later, he was deputy president. And apparently, TJ knew that his name was Frederick Willem de Klerk. Mm-hmm. F.W. de Klerk. Yeah. Um, he is a professor of African history. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned sense. during the interview segment that he works on South African history in particular, although mm-hmm. significantly earlier. And that I think is his focus. Um, Yeah. Still, it's a name to know. Yep. My in-laws recently visited South Africa for like a month because they lived there for a few years in the 90s right after. I don't think they were there for the election of Mandela, but they moved there, I think, Mm. just after. So they brought me back an entire Springboks rugby like outfit. And I have a Springboks hat and jersey. Mm-hmm. And, and a car flag for the, for the Springboks who, who had just won, won the Rugby World Championship. Yeah. Rugby World Cup or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Get to wear a jersey no one recognizes. It's great. Car flag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that one out there. Be like, what? <laughs> Daily Devil number two is in the Roy G. Biv category at the $1,600 level. Sarah finds it. She is at 2200. It's only pick number six. TJ's at 2800. Jay is at 1200. She bets it all. Gets a clue. The Senar Dam in Sudan impounds the flow of this. And she guesses what is the Gobi. But I'm not sure if she forgot the category or what, but they were looking for the Blue Nile. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was the first one that they went to in the category. So maybe she was looking for letters. In Roy G. Biv. In Roy G. Biv, rather than colors, which right. is what they were actually looking for. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's at the $1,200 level, pick number 25, and TJ finds this one. He's at 14400 at this point, with Sarah at 5200 and Jay at 4800 So he's in lock position with 2800 left on the board. He wagers 4600 I think he's looking at getting it right and making it like a round number. Mm-hmm. He gets the clue. Waged from 149 to 146 BC, the Third Punic War resulted in the final destruction of this city and its people's enslavement. And he gets it correct. This is an African history question. Again, not exactly his like his topic of focus for his work, but you know. He knows his African history. This is Whoa. Carthage. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just kind of continuing. The second half of this round was all TJ. So going into Final Jeopardy, he's in a lock position at 20,600. Sarah's at 6,000. Jay's at 4,800. Final Jeopardy category is driving the USA. And the clue is it's the state with the most miles of interstate highway, more than 3,200. One interstate accounts for one quarter of that mileage. Jay wrote, what is California? Which I, I think is a, a fine guess considering the like I-5 going all the way through it. But that's incorrect. And he wagered 400. Sarah wrote, what is Texas? And that is the correct answer. But 
she wagered nothing. And TJ wrote also what is California didn't matter, though, because he dropped to 20,000, but he punched his ticket, mm-hmm. which is what matters. Yes. So that brings us to Tuesday. Our contestants are Katie Hargrove, a professional organizer from Redondo Beach, California. Hari Parameshwaran, a hardware engineer from Cupertino, California. And Aaron Craig, an attorney originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And the Jeopardy round categories are the Tropic of Capricorn, Source of the Late Night Bit, Show Me the Monkey, Hmm, I Wonder, Sexy Stuff, and Easy Does It with E in quotation marks. Well, are, are you allowed to say that? Is it, is it e in quotation me? marks? No, it's fine. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess you've mentioned Som- Song of Solomon. So I have, okay. yes, I have. Yeah, the sexy stuff was not that sexy, <laughs> truth be told. <laughs> what? The $800 level, muskrat love, includes the formation of these monogamous bonds for the duration of breeding suit. Apparently it's just pair bonds. Ken made a joke about maybe it's better that none of you know this. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people are really into muskrats. Ken, would it be judgy? Yeah. I do not really watch late night TV at all. Yeah. Um, but I did know the $800 level of Source of the Late Night Bit, Will It Float? I don't know why I know it, but that's David Letterman. That was a triple stumper. So, hmm. yeah. I was pleased with myself about that. I also knew the 200 and 400 jaywalking. I mean, I figured it out, right? Like, right. I, I am not familiar with the bit, but it's an easy clue. Obviously, they they were re- referencing Jay Leno. Aaron got that one. Mm-hmm. And freestyling with the roots. I have seen enough clips around and whatever to know that that is Jimmy Fallon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was about the extent of my knowledge as well. Yep. The hmm, I wonder category at the $600 level, a reader of these checks out the line of Mars and Mount of Venus. Aaron got that one. That is palms. And let me, let me mention for anybody who may be wanting to go further into our back catalog that I figured out recently how to change our settings so that all of our episodes are appearing now, at least on Apple Podcasts. I haven't checked the others. Our very first ever episode had a deep dive about palmistry. So when I saw the palms clue, I was like, oh, yeah, let's mention if you've been been wanting to hear those older episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Now they're available on Apple Podcasts. I'm sure so many of you have. Yeah, we figured out how to make those easier to access. Emily figured out how to make them easier to access. I am just blissfully unaware of all of that. (laughs) Daily Double number one is down in that. hmm, I wonder just below the palms question. It's at the $800 level. It was found at pick number four. Aaron located it. He's at zero. Hari's at zero. Katie's at zero. After four clues. Rough start. Wages a thousand. It's clue appropriately champ is the name of this lake's version of Nessie, the Loch Ness monster. And he gets it correct with what is Lake Champlain. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Aaron is at 7,600 Hari is at 4,800 and Katie is still at zero. Double Jeopardy categories are the topic of Capricorns, the World Series, Frank Gehry, Night at the Museum, Monster Manual, and Words in Halloween. Mm-hmm. Monster Manual was a fun halloween category 
Mm-hmm. It was all descriptions of monsters and stuff. The $800 level monsterologists are in debate on how this ugly demon differs from the version with Hob in front. And how I got that, that's goblin. Hobgoblin's a really fun word, I think. Hob- Hobgoblin is a fun word. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, de- it depends on, you know, which source you want to go with. Yeah. I have no input on goblin versus hobgoblin. Okay. Yeah. I have no opinion. Even though one is right and one is wrong. You know. Yeah. But I, d- I still have no opinion. Yeah. Uh, tough rebound at the $400 level of Night at the Museum. Faces are garishly lit by gas lamp in At the Moulin Rouge, one of his many depictions of Parisian nightlife. And Hari said, who is Tallulatrek? Perhaps wondering if the S, I guess, is silent? In yeah. There are, certain, there are often silent S's in French. Mm-hmm. That that one is not silent because there's an E after it. Um, okay. Good yeah. to know. Toulouse is also a town, a city in France, which is the only reason that I'm like confident that I know how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Aaron got the rebound with Toulouse-Lautrec. The World Series category, Aaron seems to be a baseball fan. Yeah. He did very well. $1,200 clue. This team refused admission to a local tavern owner's billy goat in 1945, and the ensuing curse lasted until the 2016 World Series. Hari guessed who are the White Sox, so he knew it was Chicago, but Aaron got it with who are the Cubbies? It's mm-hmm. funny that he called them the Cubbies. Seems to be a fan. Although I do kind of wish that it had been a triple stumper because then I could talk about the curse of the Billy Goat. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. Oh, well. Alas. I'm sure that every Jeopardy sports question from here on out will be correctly answered. <laughs> I'm not looking for a sports question. I'm looking for that yeah, sports specific- question. <laughs> that sports question. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is... If the Cubs come up again, there's a decent chance that everybody will just stand there and wait for the ignorance tone. The ignorance tone. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. I did. I did know it was the Cubs, though. So, so nice. Yeah. Nice. So maybe it's too gettable. Maybe you'll never have a chance. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. That'll be okay. Daily double number two is in Night at the Museum. It's pick number three. And Hari finds it at the $1,600 level. He's at $7,600. Aaron is at $6,000. Katie's at zero. And he makes it a true daily double. And he gets the clue. He painted night fishing at Antibes just before the outbreak of World War II. He tries who is Dolly, but it is Picasso. So he yeah. drops down to zero. But we're right at the beginning of the double Jeopardy round. So he's got time to rebuild. He definitely does. Pick number 13 is where we find the last daily double. It's at the $2,000 level of Monster Manual, and Hari does find it. At this point, he is back up to 6400 Aaron's at 9200 and Katie's at 1600 He wagers 4000 The clue is, in The Once and Future King, this beast is described as Falco Leonis Serpentis. And he gets it right with what is a griffin. Mm-hmm. And so that takes him into the lead Aaron briefly retakes the lead but by the end of the double jeopardy round Hari is back up he's at 17,200 with Aaron at 14,000 and Katie at 3,600 and the final jeopardy category is names the same the clue is this first name is shared by a character introduced in 1941 and a member of royalty who is sixth in line to the British throne and this was a triple stumper 
Mm-hmm. Katie was starting to write what is Beatrice, but she didn't finish it and it wouldn't have been correct anyway. Oh, Ken was guessing be- that it would be Beatrice. We have like a B-E-A-T and K- Katie didn't. She neither confirmed nor denied. Yeah, didn't confirm or deny. She wagered everything, so she drops to zero. Aaron wrote what is Charlotte and a hello to Evan and Camille. Charlotte is not correct. There is a Charlotte in line to the British throne. And I thought I thought that was a clever guess because I can't remember exactly when Charlotte's web was written. But that seems roughly correct. But anyway, that's that's not correct. Aaron wagered 3202 and drops to 10,798. And Hari tried what is James. I'm not sure what character named James he was thinking of. Reasonable guess if you can't come up with anything. Archie, mm-hmm. uh, the son of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And the the comic book character Archie is who they were referencing. And Hari's wagered eleven thousand. He drops down to sixty two hundred. He drops below Aaron, and Aaron yeah. gets the semifinalist spot. Yeah, it's rough. Mm-hmm. Played a good game. Yeah. But... So we get to Wednesday, which is the last quarterfinal game, and we get the contestants Dave Rapp, a writer from Valley Village, California; Nancy Dunauer, a retired college admission counselor from portland oregon and dana hill a stay-at-home mom from thousand oaks california jeopardy round categories are men and women of science name that toonster groovy by george as in like goodbye george yeah we went there and six syllable words the toonster category is it the person who sang it i think so or the group like they accepted red hot chili peppers at the eight hundred dollar level mm-hmm my question was the $1,000 level. She's up all night. To, I'm up all night to get lucky. I'm not going to read all the all the, the, <laughs> the lyrics for Get Lucky. Because, I mean, it's not wrong. Dave said who's Pharrell. And mm-hmm. Pharrell was the, I guess, the singer on it. But I was like, but that's Daft Punk. Yeah. I only know it as Daft Punk. And I wonder, like, I assume they would have accepted Daft Punk, but we will never know. Because this clue will never come back until the next strike. Hmm. Oh, weren't we just talking about Margaret Mead? I feel like we talked about were Margaret we? Mead last week. Maybe, maybe we were. Yeah, I don't know. A little was bit. I guess instead of Rachel Carson for that oh, clue, was yeah. that the clue we talked about? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, that might have been it. It just felt very recent when Margaret Mead came up at the two hundred. Yeah, I feel like Margaret of... Mead's been. Yeah, what? Yeah, somebody guessed Margaret Mead, so it's not a repeat in the clues. Right, I, necessarily. Yeah. I don't know. It just it felt very recent to me when it, yeah. when it came up. Yeah, they did not do great in that category, though. The men and women of science. Yeah, they got Margaret Mead. They got Louis Pasteur. The six hundred dollar level in sixteen sixty seven. The UK's Margaret Cavendish was the first woman to attend a meeting of at this society, at this science society. Nobody guessed it. That's the Royal Society. I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe they knew it, but the fact that society was in the clue maybe made them think, "Oh, is it called something else?" Yeah, I like, wonder. They said part of the answer already. Thousand mm-hmm. dollar level, the hands on work, hands and haunts in quotation marks of this biochemist born in 1900 unraveled the mystery of the citric acid cycle. That is 
Hans Krebs. Nobody attempted that one. My husband just listened to an audiobook about the Krebs cycle. Wow. I exciting. Don't, I don't know exactly why he he said it was interesting but he didn't fully understand the chemistry <laughs> and like audiobook is not like the best format for that yeah i yeah in, in a in a field where a lot of things are formulas and you know kind of like chemical equations i feel like an audiobook is is possibly the worst format for that. yeah <laughs> yes daily double number one is in six-syllable words at the $600 level. It is pick number 22, and Dana finds it. She's at 3,000 with Nancy at 2,200 and Dave at 4,400, and she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue title for Sir Francis Drake due to a specific feat he accomplished in 1580, and she figures it out. It is a circumnavigator. Circumnavigator. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Dana's at 5,000, Nancy is at 2,800, Dave is at 5,600, and the double Jeopardy categories are A Fish Called, Rwanda, <laughs> Movie Comedies, <laughs> Greek God Out, Roman God In, I'm On the Case, and Go Om with OME in quotation marks. Yeah. Rwanda. Fish called Rwanda. A fish called Rwanda. We had the classic mistake at the sixteen hundred dollar level of a fish called. The clue was like Santiago. You'd have quite a story to tell if you caught the massive blue type of this. They showed a picture. Dana guessed what's a swordfish. It's a marlin. Mm -hmm. Nancy got it. Maybe I'm I'm conflating that into a much bigger, like a com much more common mistake than people normally make. But in our high school knowledge bowl team. We had a kid who well, he knew he knew some stuff, but he believed like like most teenagers that he knew more than he did, and it was like championship round, like tense competition. You know, the question was coming up. They're reading the question. It was basically what kind of fish did Santiago catch? And he rings in and he's like, "I got this, guys!" And he like boldly declares swordfish, and all the rest of us are like, "No, <laughs> man." Uh, so we called him Swordfish from then on. Nice. Because, you know, teenagers <laughs> are really cool and definitely yep. good at, like, forgiving and not, you know, yeah, making that's, life's, that's been... life's hard for people who make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... Is Plessy versus Ferguson a $2,000 level clue? No. I don't think I so. I think so. I don't think so either. They did. As in the people who put this game together. I'm on the case. See how on earth the justices voted seven to one in this man versus Ferguson in 1896, advancing the separate but equal doctrine. Like that's, I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like Sacco and Vanzetti are, are is a much deeper cut than Plessy versus Ferguson. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Especially if it's like, if you're going to supply one of the parties <laughs> and you're like name the other one, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you gave half the name, so it's really just like. Does your brain recall what is paired with that, even if you know anything about it at all? Right. Yeah. I really liked the Greek god out, Roman god in category. Mm, yeah, Just... that was a good one. Although I was thrown off. This is going to get real like deep in the nerddom. At the $1,200 clue, what's this? It's another name for this Roman god who took over for Hades. Dave got it right with what is Pluto. I actually wanted to look this up. So, Despater, 
is in Dungeons and Dragons lore an archdevil. Mm-hmm. And so I saw Dis and I was like, oh, they're looking for Dispater, which they're not. They're looking for Pluto. Right. <laughs> of course, they're looking for Pluto. And so I was like, I was ready for that. And then he said, who's Pluto? And I was like, oh, man. Good thing I wasn't mm-hmm. on stage. That had mm-hmm. been real embarrassing. Yep. Daily Double number two is at the bottom of that Greek and Roman category at the $2,000 level. Pick number seven, Dave uncovers it. He's at 6400 at that point. Dana's at 9400 Nancy's at 4400 He wagers 5000 The clue is most of the Greek myths for Athena were adopted by the Romans for this goddess whose temple was on Capitoline Hill. And he gets a Roman goddess. He says, who is Diana? But Ken informs us that Diana was the equivalent of Artemis and Minerva was the equivalent of Athena Mm -hmm. that they were going for. And Daily Double number three is in I'm on the Case. It's pick number 28 at the $800 level. And Dave finds it. He's just pulled Sacco and Vanzetti. Very nice. He's at 9,000 with Dana at 13,800 and Nancy at 8,400. He makes it a true daily double at pick number 28 with $800 left on the board. This is a gutsy move, but I think if you like the category. Yeah, it's the time to do it. It is the time, right? Because like you're going to go into Final Jeopardy. You don't know what the category is there, right? If it's a better than average category for you, I think there's a case to be made for being like, let's make this pretty close to my Final Jeopardy, right? Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, let's move the big risk up to here where I know what the category is and I like it. So he makes it a true daily double and he gets the clue brush up on Earl Warren's opinion for the 5-4 majority in 1966 on this man versus Arizona regarding police questioning. And he gets it right. It's Miranda. So he jumps up to 18,000. Yeah. So going into final Jeopardy, he is in the lead at 18,400. Dana is at 14,200 and Nancy is at 8,400. Final Jeopardy category is 21st century presidential elections. And the clue is, it was the first election since 1952 in which neither the incumbent president nor the incumbent vice president was a candidate. Nancy wrote what is 2004, but that was when G-Dub ran for re-election. So that's incorrect. She wagered 2000. Dana wrote, who is for? She was thinking people, not year. But Ford was also not correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he was the incumbent president. Yes. And Dave got it correct with what is 2008 when it was Barack Obama and the Maverick John McCain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he made a cover bet of 10,001, so he moves on. That's right. And on Thursday, we have the Wildcard Diamonds semifinal game one with the contestants Yoshi Hill, a program support specialist from Colma, California, Emily Sands, a project manager from Chanhassen, Minnesota, and Dave Rapp, a writer from Valley Village, California. And the Jeopardy round categories are Mything in Action, Fictionale, All the President's Children, Growing Pains, Wood, and Completes the Proverb. I have never heard the very first clue that was picked if wishes were horses beggars would ride you've never heard that i've never heard either half of that because you know sometimes proverbs get like you know people yeah. say half of the proverb to kind of like right the whole proverb i i don't believe i have ever heard that in my life 
Oh. I've heard if wishes were fishes. I've never heard that. I don't know how that one actually ends because I've only ever heard people say if wishes were fishes and fishes were wishes. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've yeah. never, ever, ever heard that. Yeah, no, that that's that's one that I know well. And we also at the $600 level had a proverb that I referenced in a quiz that I think was new to you at that it time. It was. No different, folksy wisdom. <laughs> this is a different phrasing than what I have heard. But, you know, I think I could have gotten this one. Emily, the, the Emily who was a contestant, not me. Other uh, got Emily. <laughs> the shoemaker's son always goes blank. And that's barefoot. I heard a similar proverb regularly with different phrasing the cobbler's children have no shoes but you know Mm -hmm. same idea Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think i think he may just be lacking in folksy folksy wisdom i guess if we're expressing plans for something we're going to do if everything goes well and i say god willing and the blank 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 well and the creek don't rise okay i know that one all right I, I know plenty of like, them, I guess. I know the ones I know. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it. <laughs> this is not a thing you can, like, s- like suss out, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they're just... Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if there's, like, regional aspects to it. Oh, I'm sure there are. Anyway. All right. Can, I'm looking can... up if wishes were fishes now. <laughs> it's... There's it's a song, song called If Wishes Were Fishes. If wishes were fishes, we'd all swim in riches. It doesn't quite rhyme, but that's okay. Also, that doesn't make sense. If wishes were fishes, we'd all swim in fishes. Right. Okay, whatever. It doesn't have to make sense. You could sell the fishes. But but to who? Everyone would have enough fishes. (laughs) The market would be saturated. You're right. I forgot my fish economics. It's really wish economics, Emily. <laughs> anyway, all right. Moving on, we had another myth category immediately after the myth category yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. Most of these were Greek. Yeah. So, except, and then the thousand dollar level was what is Fenrir? Mm-hmm. He's a and wolf. It's a wolf. Yeah. Yes, I believe one of Loki's children. If I recall correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. Loki was weird. When is the when is the Marvel Cinematic Universe going to get to that part of the Loki, you know, Loki story when he turns himself into a mare hmm. to get pregnant <laughs> and give birth to an eight-legged horse and a wolf and whatever else? And Jormungandr? I don't know. Anyway, Daily Double number one is in all the president's children at the $800 level. Pick number nine. Emily finds it. She's at 3,200. Dave's at 2,600. Yoshi's at 600. And she bets it all because she knows how to play. Mm-hmm. Gets the clue. Last name of John. And they showed a picture who, before his death in 2013 at 91, was the oldest living child of a president. And she guesses. I, I think she remembers, like, really, like, long lived. And she guesses what is Tyler. But Ken reminds us that Tyler is the one who has living grandkids right now. Mm. That's Eisenhower, John Eisenhower. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Dave is at 4,200. Emily has gotten herself back in the lead at 4,600. And Yoshi is at 1,200. Double Jeopardy categories are fun with the periodic table. Kennedy Center honorees. Cliff Notes drama. Soust. Soust. 
soused soused yeah, i think soused like drunk misnomers and o-e-o-e that sequence mm-hmm. will appear in each correct response i thought the misnomers category was fun mm-hmm. we covered that the stuff in corsets is actually baleen not this that's whalebone india ink doesn't come from india it comes from china yoshi got that one the $1,200 level milk seltzer and chocolate syrup combined to make this drink. They had a picture and Emily rang in and then realized that she did not know. And she said, what is a milk seltzer chocolate? <laughs> it's an egg cream. <laughs> yeah. And, and pointed out that that would be the opposite of a misnomer. <laughs> just, that one's just a no. It's just a nomer. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's the $800 level of soused also kind of could have gone in the misnomers category. Corbel Brute calls itself America's favorite California this. Yoshi guessed what is sparkling wine, but they, they call themselves America's favorite California champagne, even though if it's not from the champagne region of France, then it's not champagne. Mm-hmm. It's just sparkling wine. Yeah. Everyone online knows. Yes. I think the United States is not bound by the French like Appalachian rules like the like the aoc <laughs> appalachian sounds like appalachia and aoc uh-huh. sounds like aoc sounds like a congresswoman yes yeah. uh but like france's rules about you know you can't call it this unless it meets our agricultural definition i think that america is not bound by them we like we can call stuff champagne i think maybe not shocking you know america not being bound by other countries rules i know i know whether we should be or not yeah i've never heard i would i would never the champagne one's kind of... Well, sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not going to argue yeah. with you on that. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in Fun with the Periodic Table. Emily finds it at pick number 15. She's at 11,000 with Dave at 7,000 and Yoshi at 4,800. She wagers 6,000. And she gets the clue. One of the only two letters not found in the abbreviations of elements with atomic numbers up to 100. And she correctly responds, J. Uh, Q also would have been acceptable here. Yeah, just fun. And Daily Double number three is in Cliff Notes Drama at the $1,200 level, pick number 23. And Emily also finds this one. She got all three, which helps if you're trying to win. She wagers 4,000. She's at 18,600. Dave is at 11,000. Yoshi's at 9,200. So it's not, it's not like she's, you know, out of reach yet. But she wagers 4,000 to try to get out of reach. Gets a clue. Laura, you broke my unicorn. Gentleman caller. Whoops. And she gets a correct with what is the glass menagerie. Mm-hmm. So as we head into final Jeopardy, Emily has a lock. Uh, Dave's at 11,800, which is not a bad score. And Yoshi is at 9,200, also not a bad score. But no. Emily's at 25,800. Uh, very impressive. And the final Jeopardy category is ancient geography. With the clue, Britain became an island less than 10,000 years ago as warming weather and melting ice filled in this sea. Yoshi got it correct with what is the North Sea. She wagered everything. So she doubles up to 18,400. Dave wrote, what is thank you, mom, with little doodles for his daughters, S Mm. and C. He didn't wager anything, so he'll stay at 11,800. And Emily got it correct as well with what is the North Sea, and she also didn't wager anything. So she keeps her lock position, 25,800, and we will see her at the finals. And so we get to Friday, November 3rd. We have the 
Contestants Aaron Craig, an attorney originally from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Leo Wiegand, a stay-at-home mom from Austin, Texas. And TJ Talley, an associate professor of African history from San Diego, California. This is the second semifinal game of the Diamonds. We have one more semifinal game on Monday. And then a two-day total point affair on Tuesday and Wednesday. So that we can start hearts on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Just the way we like it. The Jeopardy round categories are hospitals, big screen Elvis, famous pairs, the third word, only partly true, and Espanol. I do not know Elvis movies. I came to realize during that category. You know, me neither. I figured out the... 200 and the thousand dollar where you didn't really need to know anything about the elvis movie and the rest of them were mysteries to me 200 dollar level king creole elvis's favorite of his 31 films was the first shot on location the french quarter in this city don't know anything about the elvis film but creole and french quarter and what city are we talking about that's got to be new orleans and leah mm-hmm. got that one and then the thousand dollar level elvis's last feature with mary tyler moore as a nun was called change of this get it and I figured out the joke, and so did Leah. That is habit, change of habit. Yeah, I mean, like, I, like, like, I remembered that one. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Blue Hawaii and Viva Las Vegas. I'm pretty sure I watched those. I'm, as in, I'm pretty sure my mom made me watch those mm-hmm. when I was a child. But I was not going to be able to dredge up that part of my memory in time for, for those yeah. clues. Nobody knew the $1,000 level of hospitals. Known for its mental health facilities, this New York City hospital dates back to 1736, four years after George Washington's birth. But nobody tried it. It's Bellevue, which I know well from walking past it every day during my hospital chaplaincy internship. Hmm. I did not work at Bellevue, but it's, it's right next to the NYU Langone Hospital, which I did work at. Hmm. Yeah. Is there any relation to George Washington for Bellevue Hospital? I do not know. That's a so, good question. Because the, the four years after George Washington's birth w- would would lead me to be like, oh, it is somehow related to George Washington, not just like 1736 is four years after George Washington's birth, just to give you some context. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it has anything to do with George Washington. That is a weird thing for them to include, though. You're right. Yeah. The fact that it was opened four years after the birth of George Washington is on its blurb on the NYC Health and Hospitals page. Interesting. Maybe maybe this is a writer's strike issue. Maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> the only partly true category was fun because they they just like added stuff that wasn't true to each each one. Like how symbolically this West Coast state whose counties include Kous and Clackamas was cryogenically frozen in 2004. TG got it. That's Oregon. I don't know. They have good non sequiturs yeah, here. That's very silly. Yes. Daily double number one is in famous pairs. It's at the thousand dollar level. Pick number nine and Leah finds it. 
She's at 800 with TJ at 2400 and Aaron at 2000. And she wagers 1000 as she should. And she gets the clue. Their first map appeared in an 1872 issue of the Railway Guide. And she gets that one correct. It is Rand and McNally. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, TJ's at 4600. Leah's at 3400. Aaron is at 6200. And the double Jeopardy categories are the Comets, Talk About Pup Music art heists, going through the emotions, this category doesn't stink, and it just sounds questionable. It just sounds questionable was all the correct responses sounded like question words. Yeah. A rough break for TJ at the $1,200 level. This letter means and in Spanish. TJ pronounced it in Spanish as E, which is also a letter that does not mean and in Spanish. They wanted you to say the English name of the letter, which is why. I don't agree with that ruling because the letter is E. Oh, no, it's not. I'm a liar. It's Y. Oh, okay. So even saying E would be incorrect because E is Spanish, is English I. If he'd said Y, then perhaps Greek I, then perhaps they would have taken it. So never mind. I I totally agree with the ruling because it is incorrect. The word is pronounced E, but the letter is Y. Yeah. Term for a Buddhist temple. There's a big one in Angkor. <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> what? Van Gogh was a triple stumper. I can't believe they didn't listen to your Van Gogh deep dive after yeah. they had taped this episode. Right. <laughs> the $800 level of art heists. An early version of the Potato Eaters was among three of his paintings taken from a museum in Holland in 1988. No one even mm-hmm. guessed. No one yeah. even tried. It was Van Gogh. Yeah. They also were not, had not, I guess, listened to my grandma Moses deep dive, which was a while back, but that's at the $2,000 level. 14 years after they were stolen, seven of her paintings, including the old inn, turned up at a Bennington, Vermont museum. Leah tried who is Cassatt, but that is grandma Moses. I feel like there was one that was related to one of your deep dives too. Maybe not. Maybe it was earlier this week or something. I mean, we did have a deep dive on Sublime. It's true. It's Way true. Back yes. With guest was that Rachel Paterno Mahler? Yeah, it was. It was Rachel Paterno Mahler. Yeah. Which that... I it was a great deep dive, and it co- took me completely by surprise because I was expecting you know sort of something from her field of like, study, right? Her like uh, academic pursuits. Yes. But it was it was informative. It was and yeah and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Daily double number two is in this category. Doesn't stink. It's at the $1,600 level. Pick number six. Aaron finds it. He's at $6,600. TJ's at $4,600. Leah's also at $4,600. He bets $4,000. Gets the clue. A strange visitor from another planet would find this gas, atomic number 36, odorless and colorless. And he doesn't pick up on the clue. He guesses what is xenon, which isn't terribly far away if on like... I think, the periodic um, table. It's actually the next road down in the yeah. same. Yeah, and and strange visitor, like like xen- like xenophobia, like a fear of foreigners. That's I I like, under I, sure. I I followed the logic. Or maybe he was thinking of xenon girl of the twenty first century. Could be definitely, but it's Krypton mm-hmm. for a different strange visitor from another planet. Yes. And Daily Double number three is pick number 27. It's at the $1,200 level of art heists. And Leah finds this one. 
At this point, she's at 9,400 tied with Aaron. TJ's trailing at 3,800. So Leo wagers 5,000 and gets the clue. In 2001, his study for over Vitebsk wandered off after a cocktail reception at the Jewish Museum in New York. And Leah goes for too deep of a cut. If it's a Jewish painter, it's not Kandinsky, which is who she guesses. It is Mark Chagall. It's Mark Chagall. Always Chagall. Yeah. There is no other painter but Chagall. (laughs) No other Jewish painter, for sure. Yeah. All right. So we get to the end of the round. And after Leah takes that hit, Gosh, it's really close. And then in the closing moments of the round, Aaron is able to get himself into a lock position. He's at 9,800. Leah is at 4,400. TJ's at 4,200. Final Jeopardy category is British history. And the clue is at Leicester Cathedral in March 2015, the Archbishop of Canterbury led a religious ceremony for this deceased English monarch. This is a triple stumper. TJ might have known it, but he put who is Heath Ledger love you mom <laughs> that's who is Heath Ledger is it's a very funny response when you know it's, that you know yeah. yeah so good like classic yeah throwback to earlier in the week just great great attitude great spirit we'll miss you TJ Leah wrote who is Prince Philip that is incorrect and wagered all 4400 and Aaron didn't wager or didn't offer a guess and he wagered $32. It was Richard III. It was his reinterment because wasn't he found under a parking lot or something? That vaguely rings a bell, although I don't remember the details. Yeah, somewhere in Leicester or somewhere he was found and so they were reinterring him. Hmm. But Aaron had it in lock and so he moves on to the finals starting next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the week. We will wrap up diamonds and start hearts next week and continue on. We will, we're at the halfway point just about of mm-hmm. this, this whole shindig. Yeah. And we're at kind of the halfway point of the episode. And so we will remind you now that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent You can go there to support us financially find some exclusive content if i remember to put up the quiz questions this week then you will find the quiz questions there before the episode is published in uh oh i forgot to put them up last week whoopsie daisy oh hey we both did hooray (laughs) yeah so it's patreon.com slash potent potables check it out and of course if you have to direct your money to just one thing or your attention to just one thing probably it should go to something other than our very important and impactful podcast and a number of the things that we find valuable and important are in the show notes. So we encourage mm-hmm. you to check those out as well. Yes. Emily. Yes, Kyle. What am I talking about? What are you talking, talking about, about Archie Comics? I am not talking about Archie Comics, no. Okay. How about Dwight D. Eisenhower? I'm not talking about Eisenhower, though it did cross my mind. Okay. Are you talking about Mark Chagall? I am not talking about Mark Chagall. Some of the artist ones, I was like, ooh, those would be good. Like, there was Picasso earlier in the week and Mark Chagall, and I was like, we just talked about Van Gogh. Yeah, that's true, we did. I'm going to stay away from an artist. So no, none of those are what we are going to be 
talking about instead we are from this very friday game double jeopardy two thousand dollar level of the comets the man behind the nebulae m numbers his first love was comets louis the 15th called him the comet ferret (laughs) and that's which ferret is that a compliment is it an insult i don't know (laughs) it's a name and if the king calls you it you don't complain i guess that's charles messier so we're going to talk about Messier and Messier objects. So yeah, I mean, as with anybody, he lived a, a whole life, and there's you know plenty that could be said about Messier. But his biography is not, from what I can tell, particularly interesting outside of his astronomical contributions. Mm. Like he, his his life outside of the things that he did scientifically was fairly mundane he was born to uh, a fairly wealthy family he was the 10th of 12 children he was born on the 26th of june 1730 he died the 12th of april 1817 so he lived a, a good full life you know 87 years which is really good for that time period like i said he was born to a, a wealthy family his mother had a French name that I don't care to pronounce. It's uh, Francoise. And... Okay, Francoise. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay, French, whatever. And his father was Nicolas Messier, who was a court usher. Not like usher, you know, he was like a, you know, like a regular, like lowercase usher. I got really excited and I thought maybe he was like usher, you know, like oh, yeah. a singer. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that wasn't the case. He was born in the Lorraine region of France. Six of his brothers and sisters died while young, uh, and his father died in 1741 when he was 11. In 1744, his interest in astronomy was piqued by the appearance of the Great Six-Tailed Comet of 1744. It is also known as the Comet de Chezo, or the Comet Klinkenberg Chezo. Yeah, it has six tails, which is pretty dope. Its scientific designation, like its official designation, is C1743X1. The comet itself was discovered in 1743 by Jan de Munch at Middleburg. Anyway, that's just a little bit about the comet. Messier entered the employ of Joseph Delisle. I think it's pronounced Delisle, in 1751. He was the astronomer of the French Navy. And through him, Messier learned to keep like exact and detailed records of his observations. His first documented observation was that of the Mercury transit of the of May sixth, seventeen fifty three, uh, followed by observation journals at Cluny Hotel and the French Navy observatories. So his career kind of it just like followed that path. He was an astronomer. He learned from fellow astronomers. He observed a lot of things. He charted a lot of things. In 1764, he was made a fellow of the Royal Society, which came up this week, didn't it? Or yes, was that it did. last week? I yeah, no, it came, it came up, up this week. week. Apparently, the Royal Society is formally known as the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge. Hmm. I didn't know that. So in 1764, like I said, he became a fellow of the Royal Society. In 1769, he was elected a foreign member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. And then finally, on June 30th, 1770, he was elected to the French Academy of Sciences. I don't know why they were so slow on the uptake. And like I said, or like the clue said in 
the Jeopardy round, he was referred to as the Ferret of Comets by King Louis the Fifteenth, which I wonder if it meant he was really good at finding them. Oh yeah, I right. Bet. Like he could ferret out comets. I I don't know. He discovered thirteen comets. Their classifications are based on the year that they were found, particularly, and the fact that they are a comet, and then just a a further designation to like differentiate within the year. So like. His first one was C seventeen sixty B one. That's what it's called. And okay. then C seventeen sixty three S one, C seventeen sixty four A one, C seventeen sixty six E one, C seventeen sixty nine P one. That one is particularly visible to the naked eye. D seventeen seventy L one. It's referred to as Lexel's comet after Anders. Johann Lexel computed its orbit. It was discovered by Messier in 1770, but we don't call it, we call it a Lexel comet instead of a Messier comet. Then there was C1771, 1773, 1780, 1788, 1793, 1798, and then 1785 A1 was added later with the contributions of Pierre Francois Michin, who I'll talk about in a bit. Um, he also co discovered comet C1801 N1 but shared that discovery with several other observers. So it is the known as the Comet Pons Messier Méchant Bouvard. <laughs> That's a very long name. Mm. He self-published a booklet connecting the Great Comet of 1769 to the birth of Napoleon. This was near the end of Messier's life, who was in power at the time of publishing. And it was really just a way for Messier to try and like ingratiate himself into Napoleon's good graces and get some funding and you know, like opportunity as he continued in his career. He stated that, that the, the appearance of that comet marked the beginning of the epic of Napoleon, the great, right. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout history, comets have always been uh, considered portents or, you know, omens or signs of significant things happening in the world. And so he was just kind of playing on that. Messier, like I said, died on the 12th of April, 1817, and he is buried at Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris in Section 11. He's near the grave of Frédéric Chopin. Hmm. I'm not sure if there's any particular reason for that, other than they just happen to be near each other. Yeah. So he was a comet hunter, right? It, it, it led him to finding a lot more than just comets. Uh, he was continuously coming across fixed, diffuse objects in the night sky, which could be mistaken for comets. And he compiled a list of them in collaboration with his friend and assistant, Pierre Méchant, who may have found at least 20 of these objects. And he he put that list out and like charted it to avoid wasting time when they were you know looking at the sky and trying to sort out whether what they were looking at was a comet. It was really just a reference for them to start to be like, oh no, we've already found that thing. It's not a comet. The entries are now known to be 39 galaxies, four planetary nebulae, seven other types of nebulae, and five star clusters. He used a 100-millimeter refracting telescope at the Hotel de Cluny, which is now the Musée National de Moyen-Age. De Moyen-Age? De Moyen-Age, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where he did a lot of his observing. And of course, the list he compiled only contains objects that he could like see from where he was right right from the celestial north pole uh down to about 35.7 degrees um 
like south of that. Um, they're not organized by scientific type or by location. They're just pretty much what he found in the order that he found them. The first version of Messier's catalog contained 45 objects and was published in 1774. That version also included objects previously observed by other astronomers, with only 17 of them actually being the ones that he discovered himself. By 1780, the catalog had increased to 80 objects. The final version was published in 1781, and the final list of Messier objects had grown to 103. Since then, especially in the 20th century, between 1921 and 1966, other astronomers and historians have added seven more, M104 through M110, to the list. And those are accepted as official Messier objects because they were objects that had been observed by either Messier or Michon shortly after the final version was published. So we, we know this from their notes. They just hadn't added them to like their official list. And so at this point, the list of Messier objects is 110 mm-hmm. objects. Still used by professional and amateur astronomers today. And they are relatively bright objects, so amateur astronomers can find them using fairly, I don't want to say rudimentary, but like not the most powerful telescopes that you would think. A couple of things are named for Messier. The lunar crater Messier is named for him. It's a relatively young lunar impact crater in Mar Fecunditatis. Hmm. It has an oblong shape. And then the asteroid 7359 is named Messier as well. Uh, So that's a little bit about him. We'll talk just briefly about the Messier objects as well. Uh, Like I said, there are 110 objects. They include galaxies, nova or supernova remnants, uh, open clusters, globular clusters, diffuse nebulae, planetary nebulae, and then others that are just basically like clouds or just other things that are seen, right? If if it doesn't have a particular classification, it's still like, hey, that's a bright thing in the sky. Mm-hmm. And like I, like I said, they're not organized by type or by brightness or by... <laughs> by any apparent measure it's just the list and the order that they wrote them down a lot of them are like it's kind of organized by like the constellation that they're a part of because obviously as they're looking at that constellation they're going to see different things and they'll put them down but it's not entirely right like Sagittarius has a bunch but there are some mixed in so that it's not just all Sagittarius mixed together some of the the ones that I'm just going to like name out, not because they're more important or anything, but they're perhaps more recognizable. The Crab Nebula, we you know we've heard of that. It's in the Taurus constellation. It is a supernova rem- remnant, and it is M1. It is the first one on the list. Is the Crab Nebula. M4, we have the Spider Globular. It's in Scorpius or Scorpio, if you're going with the kind of astrological thing. We have Ptolemy's cluster in Scorpius. It's just an open cluster. That's M7. The Eagle Nebula. I'm going to name some of the nebulas because we kind of like those tend to come up a little bit more on Jeopardy. The Eagle Nebula is M16. It's in the Serpents constellation. It is a an H2 region, which is a region of interstellar atomic hydrogen that is ionized. Uh, it's a nebula with a cluster. M17, the next one on the list, is the Omega Swan Horseshoe Lobster or Checkmark Nebula. (laughs) 
depends on who you talk to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different names. That one's in Sagittarius. Uh, and the Black Swan Cluster is a cluster that's also in Sagittarius. We get the Dumbbell Nebula. It's in the constellation Volpecula. That's M27. The Andromeda Galaxy itself is M31. And it's just in Andromeda. The Great Orion Nebula is, of course, in Orion, and that's M42. We get the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters. And that's a, a fairly common one that people can see. You can see that with the naked eye. That's in Taurus. It's M45. We have the Ring Nebula in the constellation Lyra, and that's M57. I just like the name of this one. I don't know if it comes up very often. The Casper the Friendly Ghost Nebula. What? It, it, yeah, it's in Orion. Charles Messier obviously didn't name it the Casper the Friendly Ghost Nebula. But somebody did, and apparently it has stuck, I guess. I mean, the picture kind of looks like I could kind of see it. Anyway, that's M78. There is the Cat's Eye Galaxy, or Crocodile Eye Galaxy. That's in Canis Venetici, and that's M94. We get a bunch of galaxies closer to the list. We have bottom of the list. We have the Mirror Galaxy at M100, Pinwheel Galaxy at M101, and the Spindle Galaxy at M102. We get the Crucifix Cluster at M107, so this is one of the later ones. We have the Sombrero Galaxy, I'm going to go back, M104, just because I guess it looks like a Sombrero. M108 is the Surfboard Galaxy, it's in Ursa Major, and M109 is the Vacuum Cleaner Galaxy, also in Ursa Major. Why is it called those? I wish I knew. Hmm. I wish I knew. But people give them names, and I guess if you're the first one to give it a name, it's just the way it is. So that's basically a list. There is another list of astronomical objects called the Caldwell Catalog. I'm not going to talk about what they are. It's 109 star clusters, nebulae, and galaxies. It was compiled by Patrick, Sir Patrick Alfred Caldwell Moore, and he meant it as a compliment to the Messier Catalog. There's some controversy about it. Um, because Moore did not discover any of the objects in his catalog, even and Moore claimed they were kind of like neglected because they weren't on the M list, but most astronomers reject that claim. Um, it's presented presented as a catalog with unique designations rather than a list, um, and it may cause confusion among amateur astronomers. And uh, the list was promoted as an extension of the Messier catalog. However, the objects are often arbitrary with many easily viewable objects omitted, while some objects are not readily available to visual observers. Anyway, that's the Caldwell catalog. And yeah, that's what I have about Messier and his his objects. Yeah, hopefully that, I don't know, filled in a little bit of gap there. Absolutely did, because that was pretty unfamiliar to me. I'd maybe heard the name before, but yeah, no, had no clue. So this has been this has been very informative. Thank you. You are welcome. So, are you ready for a quiz? Absolutely, I am. All right. Absolutely, I am. Seeing all these awesome names of things on this list is where I where I drew from. So each of these is taken from a name of an object in the list. So here we go. Question number one. This is dealing with the Pleiades, or the Seven Sisters, which was M45. The Pleiades, or Seven Sisters, is known by a different name in Japan. 
You might impreza our listeners and establish your legacy as a quizzer if you cross-trek the outback of your mind and make the ascent up to the answer, which tells me what automobile brand is named for the cluster and uses it as its logo. I heard all the car models in there. Is what? It, what? <laughs> is it Subaru? It is Subaru! Yay! Yes. The, yes. So the Pleiades is also known as Subaru. I think I think they see six stars in Subaru. Huh. Rather than seven. I think I could be okay. making that up. Well, I just asked how many stars in Subaru. Well, the Subaru logo uses six stars. Yeah. I think the traditionally they, they see it as six rather than seven. Could be wrong. Nice, you got 10 points. It is Subaru. All right, question two. This is dealing with M99, St. Catherine's Wheel, which is a spiral galaxy. The legend of St. Catherine of Alexandria tells of her miraculous resistance to torture at the hands of Roman Emperor Maxentius. In particular, when he ordered that she be executed on a spiked braking wheel, her very touch shattered the gruesome device. Nowadays... Children are most likely to encounter Catherine wheels during their summer breaks in America, as they are what type of object of entertainment? Angkor Wat. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine wheels. Summer breaks. Um... Does it help if I say they are consumable objects of entertainment? Consumable? Oh! Maybe. Are they fireworks? They are fireworks! Yay! Yeah, Catherine wheels are those, like, spinning firework wheels that, like, you have to make sure that you... I don't know, they kind of have to... You have to, like, hang them up, but also away from anything flammable, (laughs) because they spin and spray sparks everywhere. But yeah, Mm -hmm. Catherine wheels. I have always known them as Catherine wheels, and then I, like, just read The Legend of St. Catherine, and I'm like, oh! Yep. We turned a torture device into fireworks. Great. Wait until I tell you about the cross. Don't. Okay. <laughs> okay. That is a little bit different. It's a little different. It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot about St. Catherine. Anyway, nice. You're at 20 points. Question three. M55 is the Spectre cluster. It's in Sagittarius. Spectre, led by the nefarious Blofeld. Ernst Blofeld, is the clandestine organization that undermines governments and assassinates high-profile targets in opposition to what hero of book and film? Hmm. Is it James Bond? It is James Bond. There we go. I I knew there was a clue in there. Uh, In fact, I believe the most recent... Has there been a more recent Bond film than Spectre? Because Spectre was in 2015. Oh, I uh, don't I believe know. it was the last one with Daniel Craig. I don't think they've released one. Have they released one since Spectre? This is a long time to go without a James Bond film. It feels like. Yeah. It's been eight years, but... Oh, No Time to Die was 2021. That's right. I forgot about that. Anyway. Yes, it is James Bond. Nice. All right. Question four. Uh, M44 
in the Cancer constellation is the Beehive Cluster. And so this is about Beehive. Question four. Which U.S. state is nicknamed the Beehive State? Not because it has a bunch of bees, but because the white settlers viewed themselves as particularly determined and industrious, drawing imagery from both of their holy books. Utah. It is Utah. The Beehive State. Utah recently got a new flag. Oh. And it has a beehive on it. Looks Actually, I kind of like it. To be honest, it's simple, huh? straightforward. Anyway, yeah, nice. Utah. You're at 40 points. Question five. M30 in the Capricorn, or Capricornus constellation, is the jellyfish cluster. What general class of jellyfish is often referred to as the most venomous creature in the world or most dangerous creature in the sea? It is named for its distinctive shape, not how it might be packaged if you were to run from Amazon, which is not recommended. Is it box jellyfish? Something like that? It is box jellyfish. Yay! Apparently, box jellyfish are notably different from other types of jellyfish, so it's not considered like a true jellyfish. Oh. It has something to do with the, like, the way that they... Because box jellyfish, like, hunt rather than just kind of, like, flow. Yeah. And I think that has part to do with, from what I was reading, like, I, I tried to tried to figure out what the differences were, but it was a bit scientific. But they're, like, their physiology is a little bit different. The way that they, like, go about getting their prey is different than the way other jellyfish do things. They have certain organs or certain, like, like I said, physiology that's a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, box jellyfish. But not all of them are you know fatal to humans some of them could can be for sure some some box yeah. jellyfish absolutely can be fatal to humans but not all of them and the most venomous one is just this like tiny little guy he's like the size of like a, a fingernail it's like this tiny little jellyfish which is also terrifying I... it's like mm. don't even see it no thank you yeah all right you're at 50 points and the final category is m63 the Sunflower Galaxy. All right. I feel like I need to wager all of the points. I think that's smart. I imagine you'll get this. The flag of what sovereign nation, much in the news of late, is meant to depict a field of sunflowers beneath an open sky? Uh, Ukraine. Yes, it is Ukraine. Of course, I'm sure we all know by now, sunflowers are also a like, Ukrainian symbol. And the Ukrainian flag is just bottom half is yellow, top half is blue. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. All right. 100 points, Emily. You Woo! crushed it. I crushed it. I, I didn't figure out the topic of the deep dive, but, you know, other well, than that. I mean, that that's, a, that's a shot in the dark guessing game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, you also crushed it. Great deep dive. Thank you. Lovely talking about jeopardy with you as always as uh, always yeah and uh, hey listeners lovely talking about jeopardy to you so thanks for spending your time with us <laughs> make sure to subscribe and review where you get your podcasts check out our patreon if that's something you're interested in and let your friends know about us you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent potables one our email address is potent cast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com. Uh -huh. And we'll be back next week with the rest of the diamonds 
and the first few hearts. I'm going to stay mad about this tournament format. But anyway, it'll be fun. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.